0: Podcast one production. We all have narcissistic tendencies and I actually think there are there are qualities that a narcissist displays that actually we may benefit and we may learn from. Say for example, someone that's in a role where they have to push through massive change. They need a lot of confidence, they need a lot of charisma, they need a lot of their own agenda. And maybe even a lack of or lower amount of empathy to bring about that change. And in workplaces, of course, we see leaders like that and we often admire them. It's just when it tips over to the other edge and becomes kind of more abusive that's a problem.
1: I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe as well as 11 of the top ASX listed companies. And this is Fast Track. For many years, we heard of leaders who were being labelled as sociopaths, crazy people we had to work with who were plotting for their own good and power. Now the new label for almost anyone who has treated us and others badly is a narcissist. Everyone uses the term about each other, and there are even claims we are in the midst of a narcissism epidemic. The term has been a kind of stereotype of the big self-promoting high flyer with Power, money, and maybe a trophy partner. Someone who manipulates the truth to their own benefit, or simply someone who is all about themselves. The fact is, there is much more to narcissism than most of us understand, so much so that we're going to do a three part series. In this three part series, I speak with Dr. B. Pennell, Associate Professor of Coaching at the Australian College of Applied Psychology an executive coach and researcher with a PhD in adult development and a deeply curious human, a brilliant presenter and communicator. In our second episode, we're going to explore the narcissists around us and in our final episode, we'll talk about narcissists at work and how to cope and the choices we have. thank you for tackling this topic with me. I work with so many clients and I hear some pretty terrible stories Mm. about the way co-workers and leaders can treat each other. Mm. People can often label this narcissistic, but I'm keen to hear your definition. Mm. But first, can you tell me what was your interest? What sparked your curiosity about narcissism? Yeah, sure. It's a a good
0: question, I think, because... uh, Ultimately, I'd say right from when I was quite young, I was around challenging family dynamics. And then very early on in my career, I was promoted probably past my skill and I was in an all-male environment and really out of my depth. And uh, it was in that dynamic that there was all these power games going on. There was all these political things going on. And it was then that started to really raise my curiosity around what's actually going on. It was many years actually after that, before I really did understand this idea of narcissism. My original inquiry was around working with difficult people. And in, in the executive coaching work I do, how do we you know, coach and develop people that are seen as difficult and then kind of taking a narrow slice of that. Out of all the people that are difficult, we do tend to find there's a lot of challenges with narcissism.
1: We met at a conference where you were speaking on working with difficult clients and I was fascinated. Mm. But we're both quite curious about narcissists as well and the impact on everybody. So what is narcissism and what's the definition
0: It's an interesting one because there's no easy definition because we have on one end of the spectrum of narcissism someone that may be diagnosed with a narcissistic personality disorder and on the other end of the spectrum is all of us actually who probably have some narcissistic tendencies. And so we tend to use the label, they're a narcissist, just kind of throwing it around. But we're, of course, not diagnosing. So when we're describing someone as narcissistic or a narcissist, they might be at any any end of that spectrum.
1: Okay, so they could have a small behavioral moment of narcissistic behavior that's been triggered, Mm. but generally in the rest of the life. Mm. not exhibit this behavior. Is Mm -hmm. that true? Absolutely.
0: And I think we've all had moments of that where we've been, you know, quite narcissistic, you know, maybe in the past, we just call it selfish, but there's a certain quality of narcissism as to why it really, you know, ruffles each of us in terms of when we're engaging in someone. And that's as as well as the standard idea of that they are very have a sense of grandiosity, um, they have a excessive need of admiration, they see themselves as entitled and special. But what really sets narcissists apart is this profound lack of empathy. They just don't seem to have the same level of care for others that we would actually normally expect in a normal social interaction amongst each other. And what happens as a result of that is that the narcissist very much focused on blame. It's all someone else's fault. So if you're at the receiving end of some a narcissist's blame, they're also very clever at the way they do this, can really leave you on the back foot.
1: I'm fascinated by that idea of blame and lack of empathy as being the two really obvious signs of behaviour. Mm to take us back a moment yeah. we're all narcissists you're mm-hmm. basically saying yes. come on me tell me yes. is it really true
0: well I would, I would reframe that and uh, and say that we all have narcissistic tendencies and I actually think there are there are qualities that a narcissist displays that actually we may benefit and we may learn from um, in um, certain situations, there can be some a healthy dose of narcissism. Say, for example, someone that's uh, in a role where they have to push through massive change, they need a lot of confidence, they need a lot of charisma, they need a lot of their own agenda. Um, and maybe even a lack of or lower um, amount of empathy to bring about that change. And in workplaces, of course, we see leaders like that and we often admire them. It's just when it tips over to the the other edge and becomes kind of more uh, abusive, that's a problem. And
1: impactful for Mm. those around them. So that's that's really interesting. How does this relate to psychopaths and sociopaths? I said in my introduction that we used to call everyone a sociopath at work or a psychopath, and now we're calling everyone a narcissist. What's the difference?
0: It's an interesting one because uh, officially a sociopath is someone with antisocial personality disorder. So, again, that's a diagnosis that a psychologist or psychiatrist would need to make. And basically, it's a flagrant disregard for rules. Someone that is considered psychopathic tends to have that times, you know, the volumes turned up quite a lot higher in that they actually tend to be very cold you could even say cold-blooded, towards the, the pain and discomfort of others. And so in terms of, um, some people use a term sociopath and psychopath interchangeably. We would say that a narcissist may sh- demonstrate sociopathic or psychopathic tendencies, um, but not necessarily. And so There's also this interesting, what we call the dark triad, where you can get someone that demonstrates psychopathic tendencies, as in they're really cold-blooded and very callous and manipulative and maybe even violent towards others, narcissistic tendencies, where it's all about them, and then Machiavellian tendencies, which is very political, very much kind of going through their own agenda. And this dark triad of narcissism, psychopathology, and Machiavellianism creates a really nasty, nasty person.
1: Wow, they sound like someone I don't even want to ever meet in the light, let alone a dark alley. Yeah. So, um that's that's really the dark triad. So how does someone become narcissistic? I've heard a lot yes. of suggestions mm. that it's overparenting, mm. helicopter, you know, what's the term, the baby Jesus, you know, yes. making sure your child is the most protected species. And then I've heard the other side where people have had abuse almost as a child. So what's your considered opinion on this?
0: Well, there's there's research that shows in terms of childhood, we have a certain pattern, but I wanted to just circle back if I can to why do we have this sort of epidemic of narcissism in the first place in that I do think that it's our culture at the moment that is really having a massive impact. We're all able to take selfies. We're all able to Instagram our whole lives. It's like we have a mirror around us um, 24-7 and that where our culture is much more individualistic. It's much more about you're, um, you're validated for being famous. You get, you know, lots of, well, you become rich and famous kind of thing. And so this, this culture actually um, feeds the whole process of narcissism at more of a behavioral level. But in terms of someone actually having narcissistic personality disorder, in terms of their childhood, what happens is basically neglect, at the end of the day, it's childhood neglect. But what happens is the parents will neglect the child's needs on one level, usually emotional and, and you know, needs for nurturing and so on, but they'll also praise them for a certain behaviour, whether it's their school or their sporting or whatever, their, even their looks and so on. And this kind of um, almost like a rejecting of their one part of themselves and valuing excessively another part of themselves causes a split in the narcissist psyche where there's an external kind of shell which they see is that's what that's who they are, they feel great. But actually what's underneath a um, really extreme narcissistic personality disorder is a deep sense of self-hatred, um, insecurity and shame. And the reason why this is so challenging when we're encountering narcissists is because they tend to have this lack of looking within, going, what did I just do there? Actually maybe I could have adjusted and done this differently very little of that kind of self-reflective process that most of us hopefully are doing on a regular basis. And most of the time, if something is going on, Mm. it's like it's your fault because of this inability to look within because inside is actually a lot of insecurity and self-hatred.
1: Wow. What a great explanation. So what drives the dysfunctional behaviour?
0: it ultimately is this sense of shame in that. um, And so very few narcissists will, or people, when I say narcissists, I'm really talking at the extreme. I'm not talking about us having a narcissistic moment, but very few narcissists will actually go through the process of therapy because this defensive pattern of blaming other people is so entrenched that it takes a lot of effort for them to actually turn around and and look at themselves. And so what a narcissist will tend to do is just go through the same pattern again and again and again. And um, because our society actually preps them up a little bit, they can go from one relationship to another to another without actually having to really face and take a responsibility for how they're fed into that.
1: There was one thing you said earlier about them being charming. Mm. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
0: Yes. So a narcissist is very good at making themselves look good. And part of that actually includes learning the social rules to get ahead. So they will be able to work the room, for example, and shake everyone's hand. And, you know, everyone thinks they're fabulous. And even that sense of, wow, it's really great for me to be around someone like this. They exude this kind of radiance. And as part of that sense of being charming, they also um, are very good at self-promotion So it's not only do we feel good being around a narcissist, they usually tend to be able to put themselves on a pedestal. And then there's this sense of like the halo effect of people around them going, wow, this person's so amazing. But interestingly, that a narcissist actually does that to people that they're in, say, in an intimate relationship, they will actually do that as a way of pulling someone into um, an intimate relationship with them, they'll put them on the pedestal, they'll give them all this praise and someone that's maybe insecure and, you know, maybe not so self-aware will go, wow, you know, this guy is so amazing or this woman's so amazing and if they love me then I must be okay and then all of a sudden you've gone into a a toxic kind of mix there.
1: And then they can... What's the term that I've heard? Like a parasite on a host. Yes. They suck out what they need and then yes. go to the next host. Is Unfortunately, that a fair description?
0: Yeah, there's this idea. There's there's a lot of, um, say, in mainstream psychology where we talk about these things that are not necessarily all backed up by empirical research. So I just want to have that caveat. But there is this idea of narcissistic supply in that a narcissism, because there's very little, you imagine, inside them, there's very little sense of themselves themselves and their focus is all external, they need people around actually to to validate. They will actually often um, show up seeking praise and asking for recognition and, you know, um, putting the limelight on themselves. And so what happens is, if someone comes along and criticizes, questions, challenges, or even starts to kind of peel underneath their behavior and go, actually, you're not so perfect after all, because underneath there's this deep,
1: Shame, Mm -hmm. then you get the narcissistic rage. And um, so, tell me about narcissistic rage. I'm pretty sure I've experienced it, but I'd love to hear your generalised description.
0: Yes. So, a narcissist certainly can be tend towards violence and certainly aggressive um, behaviour. They will. If you are, it's like you're either with me or against me. And if you're against me, then there's this, you know, fierce, you know, get out like sort of almost being banished from the kingdom kind of thing. And and so that can show up with um, individuals. It shows up certainly in bullying behavior. Um, but the narcissistic rage, the other element to that, which is really fascinating, I think this is why for each of us working or being with a narcissist is really difficult, is that narcissists do not know how to emotionally regulate. So if, if they get triggered, if they get feel criticised, if they feel threatened, they lash out like, you know, in a very fierce way. And their sense of frustration is all external. So there's no ability to be mindful, take a few deep breaths, go and reflect on how they might have contributed to the issue and so on. It's just all external. So the rage, can it be a passive
1: rage that yes. is channeled in a yes. way that we mightn't see as anger?
0: Yes. So there's there's two main types of narcissists. One is an overt narcissist, which tends to be just in your face. You can kind of tell. The other one is more covert, where in their way of expressing their narcissistic rage is through subtle manipulation, bullying, passive aggressive behavior, and so on. And they're the ones actually that can be very difficult to navigate because it's much harder to point to their behavior because it's so so manipulative.
1: And Again, a generalised comment, but probably more likely to be seen at work because flying into a rage and throwing a chair is not considered appropriate behaviour.
0: That's correct. So one of the reasons why narcissists get away with, in intimate relationships, this poor behaviour, is um, this interesting way of keeping someone close.
1: So how do they keep someone close? Is that the supply piece yes. that we're talking
0: about? Yeah. So basically, if you imagine, um, say, a gambler at a slot machine and this idea of intermittent reinforcement. So we know now from the research that if someone gets a win and then lots of failures and they're about to walk away and they just get another random win... They're cooked back in again. Now, this idea of intermittent reinforcement, where sometimes the reinforcement is there and sometimes it's not, is what a narcissist does with their love in an intimate relationship. So at the beginning, there's this idea of love bombing someone. They're like showered with texts and holidays and roses and you name it. And they're like, wow, this person's amazing. And then the narcissist will start to withdraw into their typical patterns, which is it's all about me and I don't really actually empathize or care with you. And then just as the uh, other person's about to kind of say, right, I've had enough, I'm walking away, there'll be a little intermittent reinforcement, oh, let's go on a holiday, and off they go, and then the, the individual in relationship with them will be like, this person's all right after all, and they'll keep going through that cycle, and it can get really, really toxic because it's very difficult to actually extract yourself when there is a part of you that um, actually still wants to be validated by a narcissist.
1: We've sort of covered how you can spot a narcissist Mm. and some of the behavioural pieces. Mm. How is it different to just being confident?
0: Yeah, so... um Ultimately, someone that's confident doesn't have this deep insecurity underneath them. It's that simple. Someone who is, has more narcissistic tendencies, it's all kind of on the front. It's all behavior, it's all kind of a smoke screen and underneath there's this sense of insecurity. And so when we talk about someone that's confident as well, because it's kind of comes from a deeper sense in them, there's also, you know, a sense of empathy, relating to others, listening, caring and so on. All that should be and can be part of the mix of someone that's confident. Whereas the narcissist, the the confidence is much more bravado and there's also very little empathy linked in with it.
1: So Albert Ellis talked about conditional acceptance and unconditional self-acceptance. So I'm assuming that a confident person has unconditional self-acceptance where they know that they're imperfect and they and don't have pressures. But is the narcissist sort of conditional about everything?
0: Yes. Well, then the narcissist isn't able to unconditionally accept themselves because ultimately there's this split inside them and it's like there's this nasty dark side that's that they just can't accept. And so the unconditional acceptance also shows up in relation to other people. So not only as someone that's confident can be okay with being human and making mistakes and be okay with that in other people, the narcissist in that high standard will expect that of others as well. And and if someone shows their vulnerable side, often they'll actually get kind of kicked to the curb. Right. That
1: sounds horrible because yes. my next question is about the impact yes. that you see narcissists have on others. So yes. what are the typical things we might see?
0: Yeah. To to answer that question, I might just plant a bit of a seed first in that the people that really get hooked into a narcissistic pattern tend to have the same trauma pattern from childhood. And so in terms of why this is so damaging for us is that if someone has felt neglected in childhood and also felt insecure, they might not show up in adult life as a narcissist, but they still might have a sense of being insecure and shy and so on. And so there's this sense of that, this idea of trauma bonds, that the the bond that say in an intimate relationship that connects a narcissist to their lover is often the same trauma bond
1: and so there's... So in this case, you're talking about neglect. Neglect, So so if someone has felt some element of neglect in their childhood and they're grown up and they've developed as an adult and they go to work Mm. and then a narcissist emerges, Mm. there'll be an attraction point for those two.
0: Yes, it's not just a neglect, it's a sense of being um, insignificant. Um, So the neglect actually feeds um, a sense of being insignificant. And so what the um, the narcissist does, because they're kind of up on a pedestal, if someone's got a feeling of insignificance, then the narcissist can be like their kind of shining armour. Whereas for the narcissist themselves, the way they deal with the insignificance is they make themselves the shining armour. So this is why people can get really hooked in and in a very nasty way, is that they both have the same trauma bond. Um, and so basically being with a narcissist in intimate relationship can re- be re-traumatising for you. And this is why often it makes it very difficult to get out of a narcissistic relationship because it's not you as an adult that's trying to crawl out of there backwards with this intermittent reinforcement. It's also you as a child kind of being beaten up here, trying to kind of extract yourself.
1: And if there's anyone listening at the moment, I imagine the most useful thing for us to do is recommend that they seek some support from a qualified psychologist to help them manage the... Trauma impact. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, of course. So it is destructive. It's very destructive. Mm. And we're going to talk a bit further about how it impacts in the workplace. Mm. Um, There's a thing called gaslighting that I'm trying to learn to understand because I'm not young enough to really know it, but gaslighting. And I, I do know that confusion is part of a relationship with a narcissist. Yes. Is gaslighting a narcissistic tendency? Yes, it is.
0: And the reason why I'll define gaslighting and I'll explain why this is so linked to a narcissist is so basically gaslighting is when you've had an argument, say, with your narcissistic partner um, about taking the rubbish out, for example. And then the next day you say, well, right, it's now it's your turn to take the rubbish out. And they say, what are you talking about? We didn't even have that conversation yesterday. And so what gaslighting is, is it's like the person's like, what? How did you not hear what I just heard? So gaslighting Mm. is completely invalidating someone else's reality to the point where the the narcissist to actually avoid taking responsibility for someone will say, that didn't happen. You didn't have those feelings yesterday. We didn't have that conversation yesterday. And so if you actually feel like you're in a relationship either at work or um, at home with a narcissist, you feel like you need to record conversations as proof that's a sign that you're being constantly gaslighted because what it does, it actually makes you doubt yourself. Like, am I going mad? Surely and so, we had these conversations. And I use
1: this the what now seems like a really weak term, but I feel confused. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, how does a narcissist think? Be
0: it's an interesting one because I mean, ultimately, uh, I don't want to presume I'm in the mind of a narcissist. We can tell from their behaviour, and the research shows that most of the time they are being quite Machiavellian, as in manipulative, really pushing their own agenda. Um, and what we also notice with narcissists is they actually don't really notice their own thinking. So this idea of self-awareness, when we take a step back and you know, think about how we've interpreted something. Notice our judgments reflect on uh, on how we're going, and so on. Um, they actually don't seem to have that ability. We call it metacognition. So, so they call it this ability to step back and uh, look at our thinking and
1: be more objective about
0: it. Narcissists seem to be unable to do that.
1: Somebody I once met, who I think is a narcissist, said to me, "You overthink." you think too much. Mm. So that would probably be a bit of a clue based on your analysis there.
0: It could be, yes. And the narcissist really will be either focused on their own agenda or um, other people getting in the way of their own agenda and not as much about how can they continually improve. And this is why it's difficult because narcissists, as we mentioned earlier, don't go to therapy or coaching as much uh, because they're not really interested in improving because they feel that they've already got it. Okay. So this is what feeds into it.
1: Okay, amazing. So Let's talk about this question that I was so shocked by at the beginning. Not really, but aren't we all narcissists or should we be?
0: Yes. So um, I would suggest that, yes, we all have narcissistic tendencies, probably more so than the generation before us and our parents and our grandparents. And as I said, partly I think it is our culture. Partly it's, you know, even population and competition and all sorts of things. And, of course, social media But sometimes we interchange the words narcissism and and, uh, self-confidence or self-esteem as if they're two the same things and just think it's important to acknowledge that narcissism on its own is actually deeply insecure. What I would suggest is that we all need to have a really positive sense of self-esteem. Now the way that we get that is actually through genuine acknowledgement of our strengths by people that matter to us as well as the ability to be vulnerable and acknowledge our weaknesses as well. And so even the idea of healthy narcissism doesn't quite make sense because a narcissist can't be healthy because they're deeply insecure. We would suggest
1: the better term would be healthy self-esteem rather than healthy narcissism. Wow, there's so much more to talk about, Bea. I can't thank you enough for our first episode on Understanding Narcissism. (laughs) Thank you. If this episode has raised any concerns or issues for you, please contact your GP mental health professional, or reach out to Lifeline on 13 Fast Track was presented by me, Margie Hartley, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Tina Matilov. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au one australiacomau Download the free Podcast One Australia app or search Fast Track Podcast.